I had to, yes. Oh, you got to pray for me? Okay, I need it. message we must listen to. Maybe even go home and listen to it again because it is your word speaking through him. Give him health and peace and love and everything that you know that he needs to carry out your mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I received that. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. I had someone ask me one time what that line of that song means, that deny, deny myself. What does that mean to deny myself? And, and I was like, you know, to deny myself, follow after Christ. I said, well, you know, it simply means lay down things that are important to me and pick up things that are important to him. Um, <clears throat> a little while back, I had a dream. And uh, in the dream, we as a church, we were, it was some point in the future, and, and in the dream, we just happened to have a larger worship team. You know, we had a lot more people, you know. Um, that, but, you know, you, you sometimes when you have a dream and you know it's from God, he's not, that's not what he was, he was not like, it's not like a prophetic thing in the, ter- in, he's, it was not a prophetic dream in the sense that he's saying we're going to have a whole lot of uh, numbers. That's not what, he, what, what it was meant to teach me. It was meant to teach me something different. Because we had this larger worship team. Well, just before service, someone came in. This is in the dream. Someone came in and told me that one of the worship team was reluctant to come inside and be a part of the service. And so, you know, I stepped out and I was talking to them. And, and, and uh, it was obvious that, that they had become disillusioned with why we do church. You know, and so uh, any argument that I had or any, any persuasion that I had that, that talked about obligation to the worship team or commitment to the church or whatever it was, none of that had any effect on this person. And, uh, you know, but again, and this is in the dream, again. As I began to talk about worshiping God in spirit and in truth and the secret place, the person suddenly became very interested in what I had to say. And that's really where dream ended. Like I said, it was just to illustrate, it was just to teach me something. If you look at church history, you know, um, over thousands of years now, anytime Christians or, or a group of Christians stopped passionately pursuing a, close, a closeness with God personally, anytime that happened, and, and a lot of times what would happen is extreme organization would come in and then the fire that they had would kind of fizzle out. Well, I mean, not always, but that's typically the way it would happen. Not that organization's a bad thing. Jesus was organized. But you can be organized and also burn, burn with passion for God. But uh, those things can replace God if we're not careful. And so if you, if you, you know, throughout history, you know, when these groups of Christians did that and, and instead sort of just settled for an obligation to just sort of punch their time clock with God, you know, uh, and go to church and live moral lives, because a lot of them did, but if they were doing, if they were living moral, immoral, moral lives just because it's the right thing to do, okay, that's not that's not a deep reason to do that. That's a shallow reason to do that. Inevitably, then the next generation be, would become disillusioned with with it. 
you know, why are we doing this? Because they're, they're being told to do the right thing, but the reason for doing the right things is not being passed on to them. Was not passed, this, they, were, they didn't say, this is why we do this. Uh, you know, when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, he talked to her about living water and worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. Remember, he talked to her about that. And that got her attention because it was about a living personal closeness to God. And that gave her a reason, a reason to seek after a life of right living. It wasn't just right living for right living's sake. You know. and, and you know, you think, well, what would have happened if Jesus had just told her to live right just so that she would be accepted socially or just because it's the right thing to do or even uh, just so that, you know, you can get uh, you can get more respected in your community and maybe you can get a good, better job and maybe, you know, I mean, all this, all, all that. I mean, there's lots of reasons to act morally. Moral people are more trustworthy on jobs and things like that and so they're eager, people, employers are eager to hire them. It's, easy, it's easier to rise through the ranks of society assuming that it's a society that's a decent society. Um, and so then, you know, we have this obligation to pass on to people that fiery passion to constantly seek God out, to be chasing after Him, and to, to be close to Him. And yeah, you know, I picked those songs on purpose. That was, I'll, I'll admit it. It wasn't, you know. But it's biblical. Okay? And I know we talked, we talked about this a lot recently, actually. I mean, I know that's one of our main points here that we talk about frequently is Seek to be close to God. Seek, seek to be close. But this is maybe going to come at a different angle this time. You know. And uh, because if we discover that the fire is going out, we need to fan it back into full flame. Because this is the true reason that we meet here together. It's all about God. This is why we meet here. This is why we do it. No other reason. You know, in that dream... I think it's interesting. I didn't get a response until I started talking about the secret place. I want to read to you a few verses about the secret place from the, in the Word. Psalm 30, you'll have to turn here. You can if you want to. But Psalm 31, verses 19 and 20 says, Oh, how great is your goodness, talking to God, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. That's a really telling verse, isn't it? But see then, in the secret place of your presence, the, the secret place is God's presence. That's the secret place. Psalm 91, 1 and 2 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. Those are places, right? A refuge is a place. A fortress is a place. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. The Hebrew concept of a shadow is protection, under the shadow of His wings. Protection of His wings. And then that first verse, you know, it, said, it mentioned he hides you in the secret place of his presence from the plots of man. Evil plots, okay? Now, 
So then Psalm 139, Psalm 139, verse 15, says, My frame, or my body, my physical body, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Where were you made? In the secret place. That's where, you know, God knits us, knits people together in the womb, and then when he imparts the breath of life, the, the spirit, the soul into that body, that occurs in the secret place. It's in the spirit, you know, his presence, God's presence. Okay? Some people think, seem to think, and I, I mention this because some people think, they, they think of God as being far away. But Paul made a point. He's, he's close to, he's not far away. He, he's, he, he's close to even people who can't sense his presence. You know, but he is still close. So then, you know, this, this explains then, because you're made in the secret place, that explains then why after you're born again, your spiritual location is now seated in heavenly places at God's right hand where Jesus is. Your physical location, yes, is here in the earth, but your spiritual location is hidden in Christ. It actually says that it's hidden with God in Christ in the New Testament. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. See, the people he was talking to, they're like, what's he talking about? But they're not thinking in spiritual terms. He's like, I'm in the Father. You don't see him here, but I'm in him. He's in me. Everywhere Jesus went, he's in the secret place. But see, then to become complacent and stop seeking God is to exit the secret place. Remember when Jesus told the Pharisees, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You enter the secret place through your heart, with your heart, you could say. James 4.8 said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I actually did cheat this time and have a bookmark over there. I'm going to read this out of the NLT. But before we do that, before we get there, I want to, you know, you, you remember that in the Old Testament, Moses spent some time in God's direct presence. One of those times God told him, my presence will go with you and the people. His presence is mobile because you're mobile. You know. And Moses asked, you know, he said, okay, show me your glory. You got to love that. Show me your glory, God. God said, no one can see my face and live. He said, but I, I'll make my goodness pass before you. He said, actually, he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. And he said, and I'll put you in the cleft of the rock for protection, and you can see my back as I pass by. Actually, he said, you can stand. I love it. He said, my, my, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and then you can, and I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and you can stand by me on the rock. So it's like, how can God be two places? Well, he, yeah, he's God. He can do whatever. So he's, he's standing by Moses as his presence passes by. I love it. And so then, you know, uh, but remember also that Jesus called himself the rock. Word in the Old Testament said, said God, uh, God is the only rock. And then over in the New Testament, Jesus said, upon this rock, he told Peter, you're a piece of the rock. That's what Peter means. It means a piece of the rock. And he said, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. So Jesus called himself the rock, you know, right? <laughs> See now, 
Moses comes down after being in God's presence like that. Well, his face is, is shining. So much so that it says that he put a veil over his face when he talked to the people because they're afraid of it. But you're glowing. You know. See, God's presence, the secret place, has an effect on your countenance. And say, well, how come we don't see stuff like that? Now, we, I mean, we do. We actually do. I had one time, I was, I was leading worship at, you know, at a church, and I was just up there just worshiping God, just pouring out my heart, you know, and this, and this guy that came in, and what, he wasn't a believer, you know, he, he got saved at the end of the service, but he asked his brother who brought him, he says, he says who, was that, who was that little red-headed guy up there? He said, well, that's, that's Phil, he's, you know, he's the worship leader here, and, and he, says, uh, he says, his face was shining. Now, that's not, that's not something to compliment me, that, that's a compliment to God. You know, because it, what he, he does in me, he'll, he'll do in you too. But he was the only one in the room that could see it, you know. And he was like, uh, God must be real after all, you know. <laughs> he got saved, you know. And I was like, well, awesome. Praise God. But you see, the more, the more time that you spend with God in his presence, the more, time, the, the, the more times people will look at you and they'll say, there's something different about you. Because his, his presence has an effect on you. You know. And, and you know, we, we like to quote that verse in, the, in Proverbs, that a man, uh, uh, just as iron sharpens iron, so does a man sharpen the countenance of his friend. Well, the countenance is not just your face, it's your, fa- it's your physical appearance, but it's also your bearing. It's, you know, your, 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 your presence, really. What people pick up from you. Well, if, if a man, uh, you know, if a man can sharpen the countenance of his friend, I mean, you know, Jesus said, I call you my friends if you do what I say. Spend time in Jesus' presence, and he'll sharpen your countenance too. Okay, so look here in 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 7. Like I said, I'm going to read this out of the NLT. It says, the old way, that's the Old Testament he's talking about, the old way, with laws etched in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and what reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. 
See, this is why the Bible can seem so dry to people. Because when, you know, when they try to read it, and they're not, they're not in God's presence, they're not in a place where they're seeking God, because it can't be removed unless what? Unless someone turns to the Lord. You can't turn to the Lord without seeking Him, right? So they turn to the Lord, and now suddenly they can understand. The Scripture becomes alive. But if they're not, they're, if they're not reading this from a place of relationship, there's that veil covering and the significance is, is hidden. The significance of what they're reading is hidden from them. And I think we've all been there where we're like, I'm reading this and it seems so dry, but I can tell that there's something in here I'm supposed to be getting. Right? There's, I, I can tell that there's something in here, but I just can't see it. You know, needs to be read in God's presence, the secret place. See, Jesus said, abide in me. Let my words abide in you. Verse 14 just said that the only way the veil can be removed is by believing in Christ. That's the only way the veil can be removed. Can be. That means it's, it's optional then. Because getting into God's presence, the secret place is optional, right? I'm talking about believers now. Because believers can get to where we're not dry, where we're dry. Any Christian can get to a place where their relationship with God is dry and unfruitful. And sadly, many Christians replace a close relationship with God with this kind of a cool detachment, this intellectual examination. You know, maybe they start off with good intentions, but they, they get over into um, dryness, you know. And that was a problem that Paul was constantly dealing with in the epistles. He told Christians, he told them over and over again, don't get involved in endless debates about spiritual pedigrees, about vain traditions. Why? Because those things replace the secret place where God is. And they put that veil back over their heart then. Because when God's word is read without relationship, there's a veil over it. And then we miss the significance there of what God is saying. Turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 8. I'm going to switch back over to New King James now. Isaiah, how y'all doing with this? Thank you for braving the rain coming out, by the way. And all you at home, I know you got reasons that you're there, and that's okay. Just glad you're with me in spirit. All right. myself to get some water here. I was feeling kind of scratchy when I was singing earlier. All right, Isaiah 8, we're going to look through verses 1 and 4. We're eventually going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to read this here. Okay, so it says, uh, moreover, this is Isaiah writing, okay, moreover, the Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen concerning Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And I will take for myself faithful witnesses to record, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah. Then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, Call his name Meher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be taken away before the king of Assyria. Now I know what you all are thinking. What in the world did that all mean? I know that because that's exactly what I thought when I first read it. So what in the world is this all about? Okay. 
there is a verse in Proverbs that says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. That's Proverbs 25 too, in case you, in case you want to write that down. But why, why does God conceal things? Why does he hide things? God always conceals a matter because he wants it to be found out. He wants you to seek out what he has concealed in his word. And you say, well, okay, I, all right. But the verse said it's, it's the honor of kings to search it out. Well, I'm not a king. If you've said out loud that Jesus is your Lord and you believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, you stand in the office of king in God's kingdom. 1 Peter 2.9 says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You got it. So get in the secret place, search it out. Amen? Because you got that office, you got that kingly anointing on you. <laughs> now, okay, I studied this passage out here, and I'm going to give you some background on this passage here in Isaiah, because the people at this time were going through similar times to the times that we're living in right now. Okay? God had brought the Israelites, as many of you know, out. He brought them into the promised land, but then ever since they had gotten there, they were back and forth in their loyalty to him. And then they asked for a king. God gave them a king. Bill, if we could pull up slide one, we can all look, look at together here. Okay, don't try to read that. That's way too small. But you can see that's, that is Israel at the time that they, after they asked for a king. God gave them Saul. Then they had, they had David and Solomon. And this is during David and Solomon's reign. That's how much land they controlled. And for those of you, you know, who pay attention to what's going on over there right now, you got the stuff, that big chunk on the east there. That's the West Bank. No, no, that's not the West Bank. That's, uh, that's Gilead over there. But you got the West Bank where Jerusalem is and all that. So they controlled that. Now, eventually the kingdom was split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Go ahead and pull up slide two. All right. So you got that northern kingdom in the blue, southern kingdom in the yellow. Uh, the, the southern kingdom was ruled by David's family. And the northern kingdom was ruled by a different king. And uh, both of these kingdoms, they're both called by God to be his people. The northern kingdom, Israel, they never got it right. The blue guys never got it right. They had, a bad, they had bad king after bad king after bad king until at this point where we're reading right now, they're about to have their kingdom taken away. Um, now, the southern kingdom, Judah, they had some good kings and some bad kings. In fact, right before they were, they were removed from their kingdom, they had a revival, great revival. This king led the, led the people, and, and they turned to God. It was awesome. But then after he died, everything kind of went south, and then the people were taken away into exile. Um, many, after many warnings, okay, God given the people warnings. Every time they turn away from him, he'd send prophets to warn them, come back, come back. Uh, well, they wouldn't listen. And so then what happened was, is God's plan was to use the nation of Assyria to remove the northern kingdom of Israel, partly because of what they had done, they wouldn't listen to him, and then also partly to warn the southern kingdom. So here's what Assyria looked like in comparison to Israel and Judah. Go ahead and pull up slide three. Okay, so you see this. This is Assyria, all that green, and this is Judah and Israel. See the size difference there? So God's going to use this giant to do this, okay? And uh, what had happened was, is Israel made an alliance with the kingdom to the north, Aram, right there. They made, a, they made an alliance with them because they're trying to figure out a way to keep the green out. They're trying to, like, we're, we're going to keep Assyria out of here, Okay. And, and what, they did, what they did 
is uh, they because this and that's actually what uh, Isaiah is talking about in these four verses here, where he where he. So now we're gonna make the connection. All right, that's what what Isaiah is talking about. And uh, so let's read it again because they made this alliance against the, that northern kingdom there. So he says in uh, verse one. Moreover, the Lord said to me, "Take a large scroll." And write on it with a man's pen concerning Meher Shalal Hashbaz. How would you love to, someone to name you that? God had that child named that as a sign that this was going to take place. Okay, And he said in verse 2, And I will take for myself faithful witnesses to, to record, or to record, sorry, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberachiah. Then I went to the prophetess. Now the prophetess is Isaiah's wife. So Isaiah's a prophet, but his wife also apparently was also stood in the office of a prophet. She was a prophetess. She says, then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Now, what that word means is, okay, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Because verse 4, he says, but before, before the child shall have knowledge to cry my father and my mother, that means he's very young, before he, he ever gets old enough to speak, the riches of Damascus, that's the capital of Aram, that was up there, and the spoil of Samaria, that was the capital of the northern kingdom will be taken away before the king of Assyria. God's saying, I'm going to take them out. They're going to be gone. Okay. So this is where God, he's outlining this plan. He has. He's going to use Assyria to do this. Okay, so now, uh, look down at verse 5. It says, The Lord also spoke to me again, saying, Inasmuch as these people refused the waters of Shiloh that flow softly. Okay, now Shiloh was a fountain in Jerusalem. Okay, he's talking about his spirit. They refuse my spirit. And rejoice in Rezin and Remaliah's son. That was the king of the northern kingdom. His name was Pekah. In case you care, you may not. But Then uh, that, down in uh, verse 7. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord brings up over them the waters of the river, strong and mighty. Not, not gentle waters now. These are rough waters. The king of Assyria and all his glory. He will go up over all his channels and over all his banks. That means he's going to cross his borders, expand his borders. Okay. He will pass through Judah. He will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings will fill the breadth of your land, Emmanuel. After, he was, after Assyria was done attacking the northern kingdom, he had come down on either side like this, his armies. And so his armies actually, the, the land he controlled afterwards actually looked like wings over the top of this northern kingdom. Interesting, isn't it? <laughs> and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. All right. Be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces. Notice how he's changed who he's talking to. See you guys later. Give ear, all you from far countries. Gird yourselves, that means prepare yourself. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves but be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. So when, first of all, when God repeats something twice in a row like that, that means that he has declared that as a fixed event that cannot be changed. It will happen. And so he's telling all the nations of the earth that all of their plans they make without him will come to nothing. That includes these times when you look at China, North Korea, the Middle East, the United Nations, everything that they're planning and, they're, and they talk and they talk and they talk and they scheme and they plot and they do all these things. God's telling them, take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. 
This is the God we serve. So when you can't see past all the opinions that are trying to shout over one another, remind yourself of the God you belong to and who you serve. Because he sees past every scheme of man and has planned his own outcome. Because at this time in, in, in history here that we're reading about, when Israel and Aram and Judah were so afraid of this nation of Assyria that's going to come down on them, everything was a complete mess in this, in the, at these times. See, I mean, we look at it, we're like, okay, well, it's a map. You can't see the people living there at the time. You can't see what their, you know, their, their hopes, dreams, fears. You can't see all that. And from the biblical account, actually, it seems like the northern kingdom was actually divided against itself between one leader who wanted to appease Assyria and by paying them tribute, sending them money and saying, please leave us alone. And then Remaliah's son that the Bible talked about here who, who wanted to resist Assyria with his ally, the kingdom of Aram. He had allied with the kingdom of Aram. And, uh, they, and, and him and uh, the king, king of Aram, they were trying to pressure the southern kingdom to join him. Because, you know, the more men we have, the easier it is for us to resist this kingdom, right? This, resist Assyria. And there were conspiracy theories at this time going around everywhere because Remaliah's son, he eventually assassinated the other king. He took the throne of the northern kingdom. And then Assyria invaded, just like the scripture here said. And while that was happening, the king of Assyria then had that guy assassinated. Okay? Imagine what it must have been like for the common people at this time. They got armies marching through their lands, taking their crops, burning stuff. They've got their king can't defend them, but at the same time, they don't even know who's, you know, who's going to be king now because they keep getting assassinated over and over again. You know, it would have seemed like all their work, their relationships, their families could be lost at any second. I want to read the next part of the chapter in the Amplified Bible. This is Isaiah speaking still. Verse 11, it says, For in this way the Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, behaving as they do, saying, you are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear, nor be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you are to regard as holy and awesome. He shall be your source of fear. He shall be your source of dread, not man. Now again, that's talking about the fear of the Lord. You know, not being afraid of God like he's an enemy. But it means to respect his power and his authority. To revere him morally. Right? Or, you know, as the, as the word said, you know, uh, in the Amplified, morally revere him. I morally revere him. I don't want to step out of line because I don't want to displease him. But I also understand he's also awesome and powerful. So there's two, two sides of that coin. God is saying here that the people are acting foolishly by not seeking him. They're looking to all these other things, but they're not looking to God. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So he's saying you're acting foolishly. Now, I want to take a moment to point out that God is not saying here that we should not be informed. He's not saying don't be informed. He's not saying don't pay attention to what's going on and pray about these things and make intercession. That's not what he's saying. It's what people do with the information that he's concerned about. Do you see that? He's saying that people are in, a, in fear of a conspiracy. Yeah, maybe, yeah, sure, there's conspiracies going on all the time, but we don't have to be in fear of them. Does that sound, but see, does that sound similar here to what this, this nation is going through right now? 
And again, I, I keep myself informed. I do that. But I've noticed that even some of the people giving out information these days are saying, this is scary stuff. Have you noticed that? This is terrifying. But God says here, you're not to say it's a conspiracy and you're not to fear what they fear. Don't be in fear of it. Most of those conspiracies won't work out anyhow. God's got his own plan. So why is God so concerned about this? Why does God care whether or not his people whisper about conspiracies in fear? I believe, and this but my opinion, okay, this is Pastor Phil's opinion. I believe this very strongly. That it's because there's something unspoken about entering a place of fear and dwelling on it that becomes a false secret place. Because how can I be dwelling in fear and be in faith at the same time? How can I let facts invade and overwhelm my thoughts and at the same time have my thoughts still be on God? There's nothing wrong with being informed. But if I'm so worried about the conspiracy itself that I exit God's presence, I'm no longer where he wants me to be. Look at what God says here in verse 14. He's talking about himself now. Then he, God, shall be a sanctuary. That's a place. That's a location. He shall be a sanctuary. A sacred, indestructible shelter place for those who fear and trust him. But to both the houses of Israel, both the northern and southern kingdoms, Israel and Judah, he will be a stone on which to stumble and a rock on which to trip. Notice that he switched into prophecy about Jesus now. You see it? Do you see that? God does that all over the place in the Old Testament. He'll switch, he'll, he starts talking about the future. He starts talking about the past. He starts talking about the present. Why? Because God's not bound to time. And we're over here going, if, if the sequence isn't right, God. But God doesn't make any apologies for that. I mean, it's, it's up to us to search it out. But again, he doesn't tell us what's going to happen. You know, he doesn't give us some details so that we can try to fill in the rest of the details. That's not why he gives that to us. Jesus said, I I tell you these things ahead of time so that when you see them come to pass, you'll know that I'm he. It's not for us to try to, you know, because, you know, I mean, it's the same kind of mindset as as trying to piece together a conspiracy theory. Okay, so so then now now God says, I'll be a refuge for those who trust in me. But to the northern and southern tribes of of Israel, I'll be a stone on which to stumble and a rock on which to trip. We talked about Jesus as the rock, right? Well, Jesus is the cornerstone, the word said. The cornerstone of our faith. Jesus told, he told the Pharisees himself, he said, he, he said, did you not read this scripture? The cornerstone which the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. So now, he continues, a, a, a trap and a snare for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many among them will stumble over them. Then they will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and trapped. Those are the ones who rejected and who will reject Jesus. Verse 16. He said, bind up the testimony. Seal the law and the teaching among my disciples. And I will wait upon the Lord who is, the hi- who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will look eagerly for him. That was the key to Jesus' success. He looked for his father eagerly. 
the word said he, he often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. And then he says here, listen carefully. And it's, it's like, what, what does that mean? It means listen carefully. God's like, listen carefully. I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders that will occur in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. When the people, instead of trusting God, say to you, consult the mediums who try to talk to the dead and the soothsayers who chirp and whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? Direct those people to the law and to the testimony. If their teachings are not in accord with this word, it is because they have no dawn. Other translations say it is because they have no light. Remember, Jesus is the word. You read the words of the Bible and you're reading Jesus in written form. He's not physically the Bible, but he's, you know, he's not a book. But he is the word contained in the book. But no book can contain him anyway, but still. He fills all things with himself. <laughs> so then reading the word while you're eagerly looking for God will bring you into the secret place. Remember, after Moses had spent time in God's presence, his face was shining. God's word has the potential to fill you with his light. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Then he turned and said, you're the light of the world. Why? Because you abide in me. I abide in you. Direct those people to the law and to the testimony, it said. See, in their distress, the people here at this time had become obsessed with conspiracies, and they turned to mediums and fortune tellers to try to get more information, try to fill in the blanks. But God gave them a clear warning of where that path would lead. Look at verse 21. They who consult mediums and soothsayers will pass through the land deeply distressed and hungry. They will become enraged and will curse their king and their God as they look upward. Then they will look to the earth. They will see only distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness and overwhelming night. Say, well, this is a really encouraging message, Pastor Phil. Thank you for taking us here. I know it's heavy stuff, but we can be lighthearted as we talk about heavy stuff, you know. It's okay. We'll live and not die. God will be with us, you know. <laughs> Doesn't need to bring us down to depression because we already have the victory in Jesus. Jesus said, who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So, that's his promise. Okay, so let me, let's simplify here. Bill, could we bring up slide three again? Need to get like one of those telescoping things. You don't have to point way over there. <laughs> okay, so, so you've got these different nations here. Okay. You got Assyria, Ram, Israel, Judah. Don't pay attention to all the other little Beth Eden stuff and Babylonian and all that. Babylon, Assyria was controlling all of that. I don't know why they made it so big, but so you got these different nations again. Now and now let's take a look at each one's motivation. And I and, and I think and bear with me because I think this will be very helpful to you. Okay, go ahead and go to slide four. So you got the big, bad, powerful oppressor that everybody's afraid of, okay? We'll call it, they are the oppressor. That ever, or the threat, or whatever you want to, want to call them. Okay, They've, their mindset is to oppress, to bring in fear, to push their own, their own authority on people. 
Okay, now then, uh, go ahead and go to slide five. See, now then there you got the, the secular resistor, I called them. Okay. These are people who do not belong to God, but they are trying to fight against the oppressor. Now, now in, the, in these times, of course, in, over in the New Testament, everyone is called. God called the entire world to salvation. But there are still people who have heard the message of Jesus, they, they rejected Jesus, but they are not, um, they, 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 are, they try to resist, uh, they're moral people, they try to resist immoral stuff. Okay. Now then, you've got the people whom God has called, okay? And uh, then the, these, these three groups down there, you know, even though, you go, go ahead and switch to slide six. Okay. Uh, well, no, you don't have to. Well, that's fine, just leave it. But those three uh, or those two nations down there, there's three groups, actually, three groups, because, like I said, the Bible kind of shows that Israel, the northern kingdom, was kind of divided against itself, so you've got two different leaders there. Okay, so then, they are people who, even though they are called by God, they aren't necessarily listening to that call or following all of God's instructions, okay? So the first one of these groups there, that, north, that, that top, that little, the one's a little higher than the southern one, okay? That's, I call that the, the called resistor, okay? They're called of God. They're resisting Assyria. They're joining forces with the secular resistor right above them, okay, to resist the oppressor. Is any of this sounding like what our nation is going through? I mean, you can't see the dividing lines necessarily, but you can see what one group is shouting, another group is shouting, Okay. Ne- okay, next, go to, go to slide seven. Okay, then we have the called appeaser, is what I call them. They are called of God, but instead of seeking God as their refuge, they seek to appease man, appease the oppressor through gifts or obedience. We'll do what you say, just, just stay away from us, just stay. And then lastly, go ahead and slide eight. I have what we call the, the called undecided I call them that because they were being pressured by the other groups to follow their plans, but they were reluctant to take any side, even God's side. They just kind of wanted to wait and see what was going to happen. Okay, so then it's like, okay, well, which side is right? Well, none of them. Not a single one on the map, you know. And uh, so then there's another group here that you can't circle on any map because they exist within all of the called groups. And this is the group that God in the Old Testament calls the remnant. He talks about the remnant a lot in the Old Testament and in different, different uh, contexts. In the New Testament, the remnant is called the chosen or the bride of Christ. Jesus called them those who are born of the Spirit. Remember, he told Nicodemus, he said, those who are born of the Spirit, they're like the wind. You can't tell where they come from. You can't tell where they're going. This group is made up of anyone who eagerly seeks God, finding God's secret place and following God's plan for their lives, which, of course, is to accept Christ and then follow Christ their entire life. We just need to decide by our own actions which group we want to be a part of. Because people think that people say, you you ought to be doing this, you ought to be doing that, you ought to be doing this. Well, if I follow God and I'm following what the Holy Spirit's telling me to do, then I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Sometimes we're surprised by what God tells us to do. 
Sometimes we're like, that can't be God. That's what I thought when he first told me to go to Ramah. I'm like, that can't be God. God, you know I don't want to go there. What's going on here? But I'm glad I did. <laughs> you can't be happy unless you, I mean, there's people out there that they, they're just so unhappy. You say, well, you're following God's plan for your life. No, no that's why you're unhappy. So, this here, because like I said, we, we decide by our own actions what group we're a part of. Because even though this, this uh, chapter in Isaiah, it seems to end on a very bleak note. It seems kind of like, wow, that was, that was depressing. Look at the beginning of what the next chapter says. Chapter 9, verse 1. Because remember that God didn't separate the, the Bible in book and, uh, by chapters and verses. You know. Verse 1, he says, Nevertheless... The gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. When at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, that's a place, upon them a light has shined. Now flip over with me to Matthew 4. How are you all? You okay? Matthew 4. Yeah, the days may be evil, but it's exciting to be a part of God's plan, nevertheless. And here's an encouraging thought. God knew the times that we would be living in, and we are the ones who are here. He made us for this time. That means that you have everything you need to carry out and endure and be successful in this time. And this time will probably go on a little longer than people think. A lot of people are like, we're going down. But God's work will still progress. All right, look down at verse 12 with me in Matthew 4. It says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look down with me at verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Remember that prophecy about Jesus back in Isaiah? I and the children the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders. Keep seeking after God eagerly, and he will use you in these times. Remember Psalm 91.1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Amen? He, in your, he hide you in the secret place, hide you from the plots of man. Amen. Was this helpful to you? All right. Praise God. I know I got a little deep, but it's all right. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and that you show us 
always through your word, all the time. You show us that you are with us, you are for us, and your plan will come to the fullness of what you desire, and many will be saved, many. So we pray for all our brothers and sisters all over the world, Lord God. Give them the way of escape in times of trouble. Show them where to go, what to do, who to talk to. Show them who to preach to. Show them who to pour into. Show them where to scatter seed, where to water. Protect them, Lord God. Give them the uh, favor that they need. Give them the healing that they need. Give them the provision that they need. Give them the, uh, the divine appointments that they need. That'll bring them into more and more ministry, Father God. And give them rest, Father. And I thank you, Lord, and praise you. Protect all these as they go, Lord God. Bring us all back safely. And I thank you, Father. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.